Hello, everybody, and welcome to Elections on Tap with your host, Miles Wilburn. This is episode 16, and we'll be talking about Texas politics. Today, we're doing a l- something a little bit different than in past episodes. It's just going to be a one-on-one com- conversation with uh, Christos Iwano and myself. So grab a drink and, and, and dig in. Um, the first question that I have is, so we've seen a lot of attention placed on voter restriction laws that were passed by Republicans in both Texas and Georgia. What impact do you think that will have on sort of overall turnout in Texas in the 2022 midterms? I will say just real quick before I answer that, it's it's funny because usually on uh, whenever we do an episode, I'm always sitting here in my head and I'm like, I hope he calls on someone else first because I always have the like <laughs> least original thought when you ask me first. So I'm sitting there <laughs> and I'm thinking while I ask him like, who's this going to? I was like, wait a second, you dope. It's, <laughs> it's me. <laughs> so I guess I'd say with the uh, with the voter restriction laws, it's definitely it's going to depress some turnout, you know, unless, you know, because the way the GOP keeps playing this game is, you know, they change the laws to make everything within its own, you know, with it within their own boundaries legal. And, you know, that's why it'd be nice. In fact, I'd argue at this point, even necessary for the sake of democracy to get something passed at the federal uh, level uh, for voting rights, because it's, you know, they say, don't, you know, don't hate the player, hate the game right now. I'm going to hate the player too, because, you know, the Democrats are trying to play fair and Republicans, again, where they have the power, they keep, you know, changing the rules to play dirty. Uh, and in a state like Texas, you know, it's really going to come back to bite us in the fall because, you know, uh, didn't they get rid of like Sunday voting and like the 24 hour pro- uh, uh, or, you know, voting or the early voting? It's, you know, it sucks because it's all stuff that's very blatant. You know, they can't really back any of this up or say hey you know here's why we're doing this they can't give any valid reasons you know besides some bs excuse because again they're just doing this to go ahead and you know try and help themselves and it's frustrating because of how blatant it is but more so the fact that they're getting away with it you know it's almost like Mm -hmm. talking about it i don't know if you've ever seen the twilight zone uh, but I feel like, you know, the episode, there's a man, there's a man on the wing of the plane and nobody believes William Shatner saying there's a man on the wing of the plane, but there is. And, you know, uh, it feels like that sometimes where it's like, look what the GOP is doing. They're doing this in broad daylight and there's no making noise about it. What was that? That's a, uh, in plain sight. Yeah. They're doing it just in plain sight. And it sucks that, you know, there's nothing we really can do. Cause it's like, oh, you know, show up and vote okay, you know, we're still going to keep trying our hardest to get voter turnout, but, you know, they keep making it tougher for us, so. Yeah, and I think above all, um, you know, it's sort of, it's kind of like the the, the signature issue and, um, or, or signatures issue, as well as the, um, the, the disabilities issue, or at least, you know, making uh, it more difficult for people with disabilities to, uh, to, to, to get help at, at the polls. Now, I, I wonder, do you did we see any any effect that it had on the 2022 primaries to, that you know of, or is it too early to tell at this point? I think at this rate, 
it's too early to tell, but also, you know, because the issue with it is with voter suppression, you know, Republicans are just trying to suppress Democratic votes when they could endanger them. So I think for the most part, you know, that stuff will kick in in a primary, but it's not going to be as noticeable because the Democrats are still going to be voting for Democrats. Republicans are still going to be voting for Republicans, you know, mm-hmm. unless one of the candidates was really like reaching across the aisle in a primary. But I, you know, I don't think I saw too much of that. I don't think I saw really any of that anywhere. So, yeah, I, I'd say specifically for that, I think it's, you know, a little too early to tell only because this is really supposed to, you know, kick in for the general. Yeah, but I agree. So I, I guess we'll we'll see how it how it plays out in in November. This is moving on to the next um, discussion question. So there's a there, there was an important primary race uh, that took place in the Rio Grande Valley uh, of Texas. This was specifically South Texas. Um, Democratic incumbent Henry Cuellar uh, took on primary challenger Jessica Cisneros. They they, they battled each other in 2020. Um, and Quayer is a conservative Democrat, Cisneros is, is considered progressive, so it sort of was seen as another test, just like Ohio 11, um, uh, with regards to progressive versus cent- quote-unquote centrist or um, moderate left, and so uh, Quayer edged out by three points uh, and set the race off to a runoff. Um, meaning that they have, it's just the, those two against each other in their, in, in, in the race. So uh, my question is, do, do you think that if Quayer wins, what will happen with this di- district in November? I think it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you hear people argue all the time, oh, in a more rural district and a, you know, redder district, a conservative Democrat's going to be better. And, you know, we see that, you know, sometimes that's the case, but that it's on an individual by individual basis. And the fact of the matter is, is if Henry Cuellar wins his, uh, uh, you know, ends up winning his primary after the runoff, there's still going to be photos of, you know, FBI showing up at his house. And, you know, even if it's, you know, you know, he can run ads like David Perdue, totally exonerated, no wrongdoing. <laughs> the fact of the matter is something like that still hurts. Uh, and again, you know, it, it, it's weird to, you know, see people sitting there and say, oh, well, you know, yeah, he's a, he's a conservative Dem, you know, he's pro-life, he's very much, you know, he fits his district, I'd argue, but at the same time, you know, he fits his district, as we've seen in the primary, only, you know, X percent. Uh, I, do you remember what, you said he uh, held on by a margin of three points, uh, it was 40, it was 49, like, um, or he got 49% of the vote. Yeah. Cause think, if he hit, you know, if he hit 50 it would have been forced to a runoff, but even then that's, you know, only one out of every two democratic voters in the district. Right. So, or at least who voted in the primary. So, you know, it's one of those things where people may argue, Oh, you know, he fits the district again, we'll have to see, especially cause that is going to a runoff. And again, uh, Jessica Cisneros, she's running a, uh, you know, she ran a really good campaign. And again, she got that nice little uh, boost near the end with the uh, FBI scandal. So it's going to, you know, 
at this point, it's just going to we're, we're going to have to kind of sit back and wait and see what happens uh, with Cuellar, because, you know, if he does, you know, if, you know, FBI keeps probing around, uh, it's not going to be good for him. And I think he could go down in the runoff. But either way, that damage has been done. And if he holds on, that's still going to come back to bite him in the uh, in the fall. And either way, he was drawn into, you know, the Texas uh, redistricting. They had a ton of chicanery going on there. And I know his uh, his just his district now is going to be, you know, even less friendly for him. So it's going to be it, he's he's going to have an up, uphill battle again, assuming he can even hold on past the runoff, which is not a guarantee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, so it's really, you know, it, it, it doesn't in many ways, it doesn't necessarily matter who wins this, this primary race. Yeah. I mean, just, and again, to put it I bluntly, think it, what was that? I said, and you know, just, just, just to put it bluntly, it yeah. doesn't really matter. But again, it's, it's one of those things where even if you have a more lefty candidate, like, you know, the Cisneros, it's, uh, and I hope I'm not, I'm pronouncing that correctly. You know, it's it's at least nice to see because the Democrats going to have an uphill battle. It's nice to have those races every once in a while where, OK, you have a candidate who's more left, but they can try and have some of that, you know, progressive populist appeal uh, that exists there on the left wing of the party and see, you know, what does that count for, as well as actual like, you know, Latino voter outreach, which was something the Democratic Party really just, you know, it, it fell apart in 2020. And, you know, I get that it's tough to say too, because people say Latino voters, like they're just a huge voting block, like, you know, a lot of other populations. But the fact of the matter is Latino voters in Florida voted way different from Latino voters in Texas, way different from Latino voters in, uh, you know, Arizona. Nevada and Arizona. So they are, you know, they are not a monolith. They really are not a monolith. And again, that's the nice thing about having a race like this, where, you know, regardless of the Democratic candidate, they can go ahead, run on an individual basis, you know, again, Cuellar could run with, you know, he's represented the district for so long, you know, even as a Democrat, he wins in a red area, he could run on, you know, that, or uh, Cisneros, she could run with, you know, again, that just full leftist uh, progressive populist streak, which is something, there's certainly an appetite for that in America, you know, it's... They have they haven't had many, you know, been able to break through in those, you know, real rural areas. But at this point, you know, it's it's still worth a shot. That's what I mm-hmm. say. I think that's fair. At least that's that, that, that's fair to say. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we go to break? Not really, besides the fact that OH11 discourse, I, that that's like my personal hell. And I thought I'd escape it this year. And uh, <laughs> no. We don't even know what OH11 is going to look like, too. So we're still waiting on that. That's that, that that's that, that's very true. At least <laughs> at least Texas has districts, you know. <laughs> oh. all, right, all right. Well, with that, uh, we'll go on our break. Welcome back to Electors on Tap, episode 16. So the third question that I have uh, for my one-on-one here with Christos is, you know, I've got to address the elephant in the room here when it comes to Texas. 
is 2022 the year that Texas finally goes blue? And I think I have a, an idea of what Christos might say. Are you, are you talking to me? <laughs> Who's this question addressed to miles? No, uh, I don't think so, honestly. And, you know, hurts me to say that obviously, but I think we're probably going to see it later in the decade for sure, but I don't think just yet. And I think, again, it's a, it's a weird thing where, you know, we've got some, you know, great candidates uh, running there, you know, Beto's a great candidate. Uh, You know, I mean, I get 2018 was, you know, a democratic year, but still to put that much pressure on Ted Cruz, like, you know, my God, that's, you know, quite a feat. Uh, so even, you know, even though he really doesn't have too great a chance against Abbott, it's still, you know, it's good to keep the to keep the base energized, which again, that's something he certainly can do. You know, after his presidential run, he went back to Texas and it was nice to see he, you know, really started working with like voter outreach programs. That man, you know, he is a workhorse. And, you know, I think, again, it's important to say, even if Texas doesn't go blue this year, that doesn't mean that all this works for nothing, because it's absolutely not for nothing. You know, they are setting up such a good statewide infrastructure there for Democrats that in a more favorable year, you know, again, I honest to God think within this decade, I could, you know, I'm going to see it going blue because, you know, and I saw a great map on Twitter uh, like last week where it was like, oh, you know, this was, you know, these were both nine point Republican wins in Texas. And, you know, it was like, oh, one from, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, a decade or two ago where all the rural counties, you know, they were, you know, there was a lot of blue mixed in there. And then, you know, one from a couple of years, you're within the last couple of years where it was, you know, the big counties were blue and the rest of the counties were red. But, you know, it just goes to show, you know, with, all those, uh, you know, with the populations so, you know, just packed into those big cities like Austin, like Dallas, mm-hmm. uh, it makes it makes flipping very possible, right? It's like what I wish would happen here in Ohio. You know, <laughs> if just Cleveland doubled in size tomorrow, you know, I'd feel a lot more confident <laughs> about, you know, well, I'd love that. You know, that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I feel a lot more confident about Dems chances. And again, it's the same thing there where those cities are growing and they're growing fast, mm-hmm. not fast enough to flip it this year. I don't, I, uh, again, that's with the national environment, too, because they've got great candidates, you know, and I think like with the less, less nationalized races, uh, I'd say keep an eye out for the Texas Railroad Commission race. Uh, Luke Warford is the Democrat running there. He is, you know, it, it's interesting because it's called the Railroad Commission has nothing to do with railroads. It's all about the electricity grid. And as we saw with the failure last year, you know, it's something that is going to be a lot more of a pressing local issue and something like that. It's going to be down the ballot enough that, you know, it'll be like the Supreme Court races here in Ohio. And I'm sorry for tying everything back to Ohio. It's just what I know, you know, where Democrats got their people to turn out and vote for those races. And, you know, we ended up being able to flip those seats. And I think it could be the same thing there where, you know, Luke Warford's a great candidate. He's got a great team. Uh, and if, you know, they're really hammering something like that home, they could, you know, go ahead and capture lightning in a bottle. But, mm-hmm. you know, those row offices aside, again, I think it's just so integral, the 
infrastructure that they're building up in Texas. And also, you know, with, uh, with how leftward trending it is, they're good. They're building up a, a really solid bench of, you know, other Democrats in the state for when Texas inevitably flips blue, they're going to have some, you know, some great people representing them statewide, which is going to be really exciting to see. There's a, there's a lot of young blood, uh, who's been coming in, uh, especially in this cycle. Uh, and you know, it's, it's nice to be building up that infrastructure with that bench. And it's why, again, I'm saying, I don't think that I don't, I don't think it's going to flip this year, but I can see it happening soon. And I think again, when it happens, it's, it's going to be something else. Yeah, I think that I would agree. And I don't okay, really... next question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't really have anything else to, to necessarily add. Um, so the, I guess moving on to the final question. Um... Oh, I, would, I was joking about the next question, by the way. If you, if you had like... <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, no, I, I, I didn't have anything really to add. Um, but just going to the final question in, uh, in part because of time and in part because I didn't have anything to add. Um, sort of broadly and generally speaking, um, what are some of the takeaways that you got from this primary, if any? I think, I mean, just a few off the top of my head, Abbott's strong. He's, you know, not in a weak position. Whereas, you know, I think somebody like Mike DeWine's going to have, you know, some trouble this year, but a guy like Greg Abbott, you know, he knows his state. And even though I want to see him lose, it probably won't happen. And again, the fact that he was able to, you know, just kind of swat everyone else away uh, goes to show that. Uh, so he's going to be like the real tough nut to crack. Uh, again, Beto's going to, you know, I think he's going to help with turnout, uh, even though Republicans got more people to turn out for their uh, uh, for their primaries. But especially, again, like I said, there is potential to be some real, you know, new young uh, just upstarts. Uh, you know, come this next year from Texas's uh, congressional delegation. And that to me is really exciting to see. But yeah, otherwise I, I'm trying to think, I don't think there were any like big surprises. Uh, it was nice to see at least uh, uh, Louis Gomer, uh, Gomer just, you know, ruin his, uh, uh, ruin, you know, just his political career. Yeah. Not even ruin it, but just kind of, you know, go out with a whimper yeah <laughs> he he ran for what race again uh he ran for ag against right. Paxton. uh and just and he well, didn't he come in like fourth i think so yes yeah, something bad and again like george p bush it was funny to see him you know kind of sell his soul to donald trump at the beginning only for trump to endorse against him but you know it that's going to be one of those races to watch where it's like oh does a more sensible republican you know win against a loony Probably not knowing the base, uh, but yeah, otherwise I don't think there were any like, you know, any big surprises or shocks, at least nothing I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, what about you? Yeah, there, there I, I don't think that there were, there were a whole lot. Uh, I mean, um, you know, there was that former Austin city councilman, right? Um, yeah. Greg Kassar. Yeah. That wound up. Yeah um get winning his primary so that's that's good it's gonna be interesting to yeah. sort of he, see that was like a you know he cleared the runoff that was fantastic to see i like him mm -hmm. yeah and he's more uh more in the sort of the the, the, the squad mold 
mm-hmm. correct? Um, yeah. The, from, from just from what I have gathered on Twitter, which, which is why a lot of, um, I guess, centrists on Twitter or, or centrist center left, you know, folks on Twitter aren't very happy about that. <laughs> but again, like that just goes to show if you don't like him, feel the candidate against him. You know, if he, you know, clears it without a runoff, that's, you know, a, that means A, he's a good candidate and he ran a good race and B, you didn't have a good candidate. So right, again, right. that that's one of those things where it's like in an instance where it's like Cuellar and, you know, Cisneros, it's, you know, yeah, you know, she's running against an incumbent, which always makes it tough. But, you know, she's able to, you know, hold his feet to the fire at least. Whereas, you know, something like that, you know, the, the moderate uh, wing of the party, more establishment could have, you know, found someone to run against him but But you know they didn't exactly which you know and the other thing about that too is texas is a big state you know with a lot of districts uh how many do they have now after uh the census because they i know they got two they gained two i think it's up um i mean we we could do a a real quick duck duck go um uh number of congressional uh seats uh they're uh they're gonna have 38 after uh they're after this which again it's like you know that's a lot of that's a lot of different races to keep up with uh so you know i i get you know not being able to field the challenger everywhere but you know just goes to show he ran a good race there so yeah um is there anything else that you'd like to add about takeaways that you found Again, I, I don't really have anything, uh, you know, I, I feel bad. Texas, uh, Texas politics is not my, uh, not my, you know, specialty. Uh, and I'm going to be completely honest too. this, this primary just kind of, you know, snuck, snuck up on me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, you know, texting a friend. He's like, oh yeah, I'm in Texas for, for the primary. I'm like, oh yeah, when is that? He's like, it's tomorrow. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> whoops. Uh, yeah, it was very, it was very under the radar. Yeah, and then same night as the State of the Union, no less. But it's it's funny because I have like friends who work in Texas politics, so it's like I knew like early voting started, you know, on Valentine's. Uh, you know, the whole thing just kind of was like, woo, you know, there it is. Yeah. So, well, I think with that, um, we'll and we'll we'll end the show. Um, so goodbye, everybody, and see you next time. Also, if you would like to support us, you can find the link to do so in the podcast description page. Thanks again for listening. I just also wanted to thank Chris Osiwanu for joining in with this one-on-one conversation with me about Texas politics.